like the very best sort of novel, stuffed is both hilarious and deeply moving. Catherine Weber Had I only known what was for dinner at Patty Volk's house, back when we were classmates at PS9, I surely would have followed her home from school. Stuffed is a fearless look at a fascinating family, a funny book that will break your heart. Eli Zabar The art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. William James Chapter 1 What We Ate Our hallway was the color of ballpark mustard. The living room was cocoa. My mother's wall-to-wall, iceberg green. The floor of the lobby was maroon and white terrazzo, like Genoa salami. When our elevator went self-service, the wood was replaced by enameled walls that looked like Russian dressing. The lumpy pink kind our housekeeper, Maddie, made by lightly folding Hellman's mayonnaise into Heinz ketchup with a fork. Daisies were the fried eggs of flowers. Gladioli, the asparagus. We were a restaurant family. Four generations in a six-block radius. When you opened our fridge, food fell on your feet. The restaurant was at 141 West 38th Street, in the heart of the Garment Center. Designers, models, and buyers buzzed in, looked each other over, and stopped by tables to say, Hey there, or how long you in town? They dressed to show what they were capable of. Sir, Dad said with a military snap, flaring open your menu. He'd pull your chair and straighten your salt and pepper shakers, whether you were Pauline Trigger or not. Gus, he'd raise a finger, ice water at twenty. He set a hard party rhythm. He table hopped. He had a story for you. On the floor, because he was so tall, he floated above hunched diners and waltzing waiters wearing red waistcoats he designed. The garment center was a ghost town on weekends, so Saturdays, Dad worked half a day. Late in the afternoon, he'd come home, hoisting a corrugated carton on his shoulder, precision-packed with two pounds of sliced turkey breast, sliced ham, sliced Swiss, a side of bacon cut into rashers, fat marbled steaks wrapped like presents in wax paper, a rack of lamb, round white cardboard containers filled with number 20 shrimps, 20 to the pound, almond crescents, Strawberry tarts glazed with strawberry gelatin, round bags of Vassaleros Brothers coffee, whole smoked fish the color of my grandmother's bangle bracelets, and Danish butter strip sold directly from the store to Needix, the only product Needix bought retail. Melons, string beans, celery like trees, cauliflower as big as the moon, pig's feet in aspic, and a glass jar of pickled green tomatoes. A quart of Russian dressing, a quart of Roquefort, a pint of cocktail sauce, a brace of mahogany ducks with a quart container of sauce Montmorency, and a quart of my father's famous Swedish mustard sauce. One, take equal parts Dusseldorf mustard and sugar. Two, add a little bit of oil and chopped chives. Those were the basics. Are you sick? my mother would ask, if I left a scrap from a 12-ounce Delmonico. You weren't considered fed unless you were in pain. The more somebody loved you, the more they wanted you to eat. In a restaurant family, you're never hungry. You're starving. 
and you're never full, you're stuffed. When anyone rose from the table without a two-handed boost, my grandmother wailed, Please, God, don't let him have gallbladder. I couldn't walk down the street without running into someone whose hand-me-downs I wore, or who wore mine, or whose house I ate at, or someone I was glad to see even if it was only Nick the Popsicle Man, or Jimmy the Old Doorman, or Pat the Building Driver who chauffeured us the two blocks to school on days it snowed. Between 81st Street and 87th, from Riverside Drive to West End Avenue, my aunts and uncles lived, along with my great-grandparents, grandparents, friends, and even Benny, the man who sold penny candy, sunflower seeds, chewable lips, and tiny wax bottles filled with sugar syrup my sister told me would automatically fill up again if I could just touch the bottom of one with a bobby pin and not break it. An impossible thing to do. Morgan's was the restaurant, but we called it the store. It was the place I was a princess. Waiters winked at me. They plucked the white linen napkin from under my fork, twirled it high in the air, then draped it over my lap. They nodded when I ordered, admiring my choices. They told me jokes, and when I asked for a hamburger, my grandfather would raise his forearm, then smash through the kitchen indoor and grind a steak himself. On a good week, I'd see my father twice, Saturday afternoon, when he got back from the store, and Sunday, our day. My sister and I would race to his bed, then snuggle. We'd kiss his cheeks. He'd suck our earlobes, then turn to my mother and say, Audrey, I think this needs a little salt. He'd press the soles of his feet against our stomachs and straighten his legs, and we'd be in the air, flying angels. Then Dad would drive us to woods, find a snake, and skin it, or dissect a chicken in the kitchen and explain how the pebbles in its crop worked. Or we'd take the car to the Coney Island freak show and gape at the walrus woman, the leopard lady, and the human bullet, who was bald and had no arms and typed with his toes. We'd eat pink cotton candy on paper cones, then throw it up on the tilt-a-whirl. Starving, we'd head for dinner at Charda's, Luchow's, or the Maharaja Room at the Pierre. Before fusion cooking, before Austro-Asian, Afro-Shtetl, and Thai Inuit hit New York, most restaurants focused on the food of a single country. In fancy places, it was served by people in regional costumes. And you were serenaded with Ochichonia, Alevuzon, or the Mexican hat dance. You'd have to eat, listen, and smile while somebody plinked the balalaika at you. If I misbehaved in the restaurant, my mother would walk me outside to where the car was parked and lock me in until the meal was over. I would breathe against the window and write words in my wet breath. Ass, bitch, whore. When I got home, I would take out my Christmas book, a small spiral notebook with a list of everyone I made presents for. I'd draw a black tree next to my mother's name, which meant one more Christmas she wouldn't get a gift. What did I do that was so bad I had to be locked in a car? I asked my sister. You were oppositional, she says, then adds with a voice full of sorrow. I forgot about that. At the height of her anger, the apex of her rage, my mother used to say she was sending us to Mrs. Brown's orphanage. I don't believe you, I'd say. Is that so? 
She'd pick up the phone and dial a number. My sister and I would listen in on the extension. Hello, a woman's voice said. Hello, Mrs. Brown. This is Mrs. Volk, and my terrible daughters are acting up again. Oh, really, Mrs. Volk? Yes, can I drop them at the orphanage tomorrow? Mrs. Brown would say, why, certainly. She had two empty beds. She'd be delighted to have us the very next day. Although my sister was older, she'd burst into tears. She'd promised to be good. I was ready to go to Mrs. Brown's. If my mother didn't want me, I didn't want her. In my sixth-grade autograph book, she wrote, If all your friends desert you, pray don't look for another, but come to the one who loves you best, your dearest friend, your mother. Years later, she told us her old friend, Ruth Kahn, had played the part of Mrs. Brown. We were allowed to stare at freaks on Coney Island because they expected to be stared at. It was how they made a living. Staring at them was good for us. It would reinforce how lucky we were by sensitizing us to chance. But there were people in our neighborhood we had to pretend we didn't see. The tongue lady had a green tongue that hung down her chest, then rolled up fast as a lizard's. On Broadway, the glass man had no legs and made music by tapping a spoon against eight glasses filled with graduated heights of water. One block north, the organ grinder seemed normal enough, but you could see every bone on his balding monkey. You gave the man whatever you had so the monkey wouldn't starve. The most terrifying person in the neighborhood was the Black Widow. She ate lunch at Schraft's every day, a woman the size of a nine-year-old in turn-of-the-century widow's weeds. Her black boots laced above her ankles. Her skin was talcum white. She ate without taking...